Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist. This is the podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspectives. Hello, hello. Hi. I wasn't sure what to do. I was like, do we do the intro? No, we don't. Because no, we, we are don't. recording remotely. So if it sounds a little odd, um, that would be because I am in Springfield and Madigan is in LA right now. And I'm in a new space that might be a tad echoey. So sorry about that. All good. We do what we can with what we have, you know? Indeed. Yes, <laughs> yes. Always, always. Well, we have a kind of fun episode for you this week. We always enjoy doing anything regarding Disney. So this was another really fun one for me. And I remember, so we're talking about Princess and the Frog today. And this movie came out when I was a senior in high school I loved and have always loved Disney movies, and I was so excited for this movie to come out because it reminded me of like the just hand-drawn cartoon Disney movies of my childhood, and that was something that was like really appealing to me about Princess and the Frog, especially after like Tangled and some of these other movies where the animation was a little bit different. Um, It was cool that there was this authenticity to me of the animation. I also think it's really cool that um, for the first time since Beauty and the Beast, the voice actors did all of the dialogue and singing for their roles, which is really cool as well. So there are a lot of... I didn't know that. Yeah, there's like a lot of really cool things about the way that the movie was made and aesthetically how cool it is and things like that and I remember thoroughly enjoying this movie and it was like one of the few movies that was like on Netflix to stream when I like moved to LA and it became like my comfort movie at the end of the day I would watch Princess and the Frog over and over again Um, So I've always just really enjoyed the movie since it came out but I've also always kind of wondered or had questions about certain things in the movie, but I've never really taken the time to go back and to actually like look those questions up. So it was nice to actually kind of look at the things that I maybe felt a little bit ickier about or a little bit like hmm about and learn a little bit more background and history about, you know, being black in New Orleans in the 20s and things like that and how it, you know, the movie really doesn't depict that accurately at all. <laughs> At all. Um, So for me, my relationship with this movie, obviously, this was a really big deal. It's the first black Disney princess. And that's how it was, you know, marketed to us. And um, of course, it was a huge deal. I went and saw it in theaters, because I wanted to support it. And I did really enjoy it. And um, upon rewatch, which I've watched this movie many times, but rewatching it for this episode, I still really enjoy this movie. I think that it's fun. The music is fun. Um, But, you know, however, (laughs) when looking at it with a little bit more of a critical lens, exactly. a lot to discuss about this movie, um, you know, good things, bad things um, about this movie. So I think it's interesting when you watch something 
to prepare for something like this where you're you're really nitpicking. Like when we do these problematic favorites, like we really are kind of trying to go through every little thing that we notice and being like, ooh, that seems a little weird. Like I think for me a big thing, and I know we're going to talk about this, that I noticed uh, this time watching around more than I did in previous watches was the relationship between the two families of like the very white rich family and yes. Tiana's family. And obviously like that's a super like stark contrast in the movie so it's not like I like just noticed this but I was kind of like watching it more carefully and things like that and it's their relationship is really actually very interesting to me and there's a lot of really interesting things about this but I was thinking we could start with a bit of a synopsis for those of you who haven't seen the movie and don't know what we're talking about yeah I think that that's a very good idea Hardworking and ambitious, Tiana, who is played by Annika Nono Rose, dreams of one day opening the finest restaurant in New Orleans. Her dream takes a slight detour when she meets Prince Naveen Bruno Campos, who was turned into an amphibian by evil Dr. Facilier, who is the shadow man in the movie. Mistaking her for a princess and hoping to break the spell, Naveen plants a kiss on poor Tiana, thereby turning her into a frog as well. The pair hop along on an adventure through the bayous to seek help of a powerful voodoo priestess. Right. Okay. So um, <laughs> I remember there being criticism about this movie when it came out, and rightly so. Even, even before it came out, there was criticisms. Well, there were a lot of things that were changed throughout the process of creating this movie, uh, rightly so. Did you know that they were going to call her Maddie? They were going to call her Maddie, but it was too close to Mammy. So yeah. So they chose not to do that. Well, and also Maddie, Maddie wasn't really, like, I think the names, like, fuller names for Maddie, I don't even think Madeline or things like that, but I remember once reading about Maddie, because it's my name, um, and they said that it didn't really hit popularity until, like, the 80s, and then it was, like, the early 90s when you started seeing, like, a bunch of Maddies. So it also just doesn't really make sense, I feel like, for someone in the 20s in New Orleans to have the name Maddie. But it yeah, does also well, I mean, sound like that. <laughs> yes. I mean, that's why they changed it. Yeah. Um, and I don't really know how how prevalent the name Tiana was in the 20s either. Um, I mean, yeah, that's a great point. I don't know if they were really trying to be historically accurate with names. Yeah. I do know that they picked Tiana because it sounded more ethnic for for lack of a better term and um, it does sound probably. very princessy to me too but yeah I can understand why they're picking a name that doesn't sound as like whitewashed right I mean I don't I don't know I don't mind that they named her Tiana it's right. just all of these things so there's that and then there's also that originally Tiana was a maid in Charlotte's household, Charlotte yeah. and Big Daddy's household, and they changed that for obvious reasons. But also, um, like, her mom isn't, it doesn't look like her mom is a maid, her mom is a seamstress, but when we a show... Seam, a seamstress, yeah. A seamstress, right. In the beginning, it's 1912, and I looked this up on IMDb, I guess there's, like, a newspaper article that says something about, like, Wilson winning the election, and that's how we're supposed to get that it's 1912. Um, mm -hmm. And it shows, you know, Tiana and Charlotte being little girls, reading bedtime stories and things like that. And the mom has made all these dresses for Charlotte. Um, but I think that it's also kind of like she still kind of appears to be like a maid or a nanny or something like that because she's like been alone with the children. You know what I mean? It's like it kind of yeah, feels to me like instead nanny, of right instead of Tiana of having yeah. that role, they kind of just gave it to the mom who's actually voiced by Oprah, which I did not know or didn't yeah. remember. <laughs> I mean, 
so when you're looking at these choices, it's, it's not... Whenever anybody is doing a creative process, they will inevitably come up with ideas, scratch out those ideas, whatever. Like that is very much part of the normal creative process. However, I think it's because of who kind of steered the ship for this movie um, that it caused a lot of controversy. So John Lasseter, who was a bigwig at Disney and the co-founder of Pixar, he was actually fired during all of the like Me Too stuff because yeah. of allegations of sexual harassment. So already red flag. Um, but he was at the helm of this production and he set the movie in New Orleans because it was his favorite city. Yeah. And then he assembled a team of his favorite white guys to lead the charge. So this movie was directed by white men. It was written by all white men with the yep. exception of one black woman. And then Randy Newman, who is also a white guy of Toy Story fame, um, right. wrote all of the music for this movie as well. So it's all very white. It's very, very white behind the scenes. And then they chose to set the movie in Jim Crow era South. Yeah. And it's weird <laughs> because is- like John Lasseter sent, you know, the group of white dudes to New Orleans to get, you know, inspiration and whatever, which I feel like the New Orleans of today is probably very, very, very different than the New Orleans of the 1912, you know, 1910s, 1920s, things like that. Um, But there's also this like really long history of Disney really liking New Orleans. Like there's like the New Orleans street and stuff in Disneyland and Disney World Mm -hmm. and all this kind of stuff. And there is this really bizarre fascination that Disney has always had with like the Caribbean and New Orleans culture and things like that that just seems very very off-putting since it's all like white people's favorite city you know what I mean like it's John Lasseter a white man saying it's his favorite city and things like that and they're seeing one part of it instead of looking into like the deeper context of its history and things like that. New Orleans is a very cool city. Mm -hmm. You know, I understand people being very interested in it. And it has a very rich culture in African-American history as well. You know, um, my grandparents were both born. Both of my black grandparents were born in New Orleans. So I, you know, have it has a very special place in my heart. Uh, But the issue is that it can then they have to be very, very careful so that it doesn't come off feeling like a caricature of the city and the people who live there. Totally, which is like kind of what happened, I feel like, for a lot of Yeah, I mean, I I still like the movie and, you know, I'm nostalgic for New Orleans. Right. So I enjoyed all of that, like, jazz and all of the, you know, beignets and all of the stuff that was happening uh, with that. However, not only is it set in New Orleans, it's set in Jim Crow era New Orleans, which is very weird when you look at the film because it really feels like they are trying to have it both ways because it's like yeah. a, they're portraying it as almost this post-racial New Orleans in the 1920s. Right. How the only things that kind of allude to there being any issues in regards to class structure or um, racial structure is class. Like that's the only thing they're kind of like, well, the white people are rich and the black people are poor, but we're not going to talk about it. Yeah, (laughs) totally. You know, so um, this guy named Richard M. I'm going to say his I think it's bro is his last name, like actually, but it's B-R-E-A-U-X. Does that sound like it'd be Dr. Bro? Uh I'm going to call him Richard Bro. 
By setting the film during this time period without fully addressing the implication of Tiana's dream to her own to own her own restaurant, the employment conditions of black men and women, and Jim Crow segregation. He states, although an animated film, Disney animators could have included some historical indicators that racism and discrimination was a part of people's everyday experiences in the 1910s and 1920s New Orleans. And some viewers did notice um, because there were laws in place, obviously during you know Jim Crow era about you know segregation between white and black people in public spaces. Um, there was laws against interracial marriage and things like that. Right. Um, Naveen and Charlotte couldn't have even gotten married. There's no way they could have reality. gotten married. Yeah. But one viewer did notice that during the masquerade scene, um, there is kind of an example of, you know, black people showing their faces. All of the black attendees' faces are covered when all of the white attendees' faces are not. And I read that after I rewatched the movie, so I didn't go back and see if that was, like, really a thing. But I thought that was kind of interesting because people were wondering if maybe that was an indicator to, you know, the class structure more than anything and things like that. But then you also have, you know, Big Daddy and Charlotte who are fawning over a prince who is not white. So that also goes against that if they were trying to show the segregation in some way. I mean, it really feels like making the first black Disney princess an African-American princess, right? And setting it in the United States and then not addressing any of like the racial issues in any kind of meaningful way. I mean, a couple of lines, like I think whenever she's at the ball and, um, you know, she's just gotten her restaurant and she is like ready to sign the papers and they tell her that like she's been outbid. And then they do make a comment basically that like a a little lady of your social status or whatever wouldn't be able to handle running a restaurant. So that I think is the closest they come to explicitly saying anything about race, which is kind of just weird. It's a weird choice. It is because I think they're trying to make it more about like symbolism because you see Charlotte, the white character, not even asking for a puppy and having her dad give her one in the beginning where Tiana is the exact opposite where she she has come to believe so much that life isn't about fun anymore. It's just about working so hard to get where you need to be, which to me exemplifies how much harder black women have to work to achieve the same level of success as white women. You see Charlotte being handed everything, where Tiana has to work so, so, so hard tooth and nail. And then the part that pissed me off this time around watching that I didn't even notice is that Charlotte ends up just handing over all this money to Tiana when Tiana offers to make the beignets for the party or whatever mm-hmm. and she just hands her all this money and then suddenly Tiana has all the money for the building in the world I'm like well girl right why did you why, don't why you did you help your friend money? before right. yeah this like, is su- your friend I support I your friend way. and then yeah, also both. she had a whole other group of friends at the diner that was a group of black friends that was sitting separately from Charlotte and I was like this is super weird you know what I mean like those were the kinds of things right. that I noticed more this time around Well, both Charlotte and her dad are portrayed as these kind of like bumbling, helpful, well-meaning white people, but they never work to actively help Tiana in any meaningful way. Um, They are friends, right? Or her family. They have this friendship, but they don't 
actually well, and they're like family friends. Point, like they know her mom. Yeah, I mean, at any point they could have given Tiana a business loan, right? Like they know she's good for it. They know she's hardworking, um, and it would have been very easy because also this movie makes it very clear that neither Charlotte nor her father know the value of money at no. all. Like they're seen kind of just giving stacks of cash. He buys a newspaper and gives the newspaper boy like an entire wad of cash, right? So it's like very clear that they don't have an understanding of money. So it wouldn't have even mattered to them um, to give Tiana the amount. Like he had the amount of money on him that Tiana needed to pay for the rest of her restaurant. You know, the other thing that I noticed this time around, just because we're talking about the Charlotte Tiana relationship. Another thing that I noticed was when, um, Oh, what was it? Oh, when Naveen was trying to like convince Tiana to kiss him, which I was like, ew, gross. Um, Tiana decided Naveen because oof, he's a piece of work. I wrote so Tiana totally doesn't care that Naveen wants to marry Lottie for the money. I heard that like I'm gonna marry her so I can be rich again. I'd be like, you're not marrying her. She's great and wonderful, and you should love her for who she is and not for her money. Well, yeah, but the way that this movie handles romance and marriage and love anyway, I mean, when when Naveen, as, when Lawrence as Naveen, who is uh, Naveen's valet, who gets transformed into him, when he proposes to Lottie, yeah. I, it's like not even a question. She's like, oh, oh we got to start planning the wedding, like immediately. She doesn't know anything about this man yeah. at all. Like she wants, it's a completely transactional relationship. And I think that that's pretty clear. It's like he's marrying her for money. She's marrying him because he's a I prince guess, and she wants to be a princess. And like, that's it. And like, I guess Tiana no, gets that. But I guess like, but to me, like as a friend, I would never just be like, oh, you want to marry her but for her money? Yeah, that's totally how fine. How much of a friendship is this, though? Because that's to a be great honest, point. like Charlotte, even though a lot has been made of the friendship between Charlotte and Tiana, you know, she's crying at the end when they're getting married and it seems like they have this like long, lengthy, since childhood friendship. Right. Um, and they have genuine care and affection for each other. On the other hand, Charlotte seems to be pretty blind or unaware of Tiana's struggles and simultaneously treats her as a friend and as a servant at yeah. the same time. I mean, yeah. like she wasn't even invited to that party. She was hired to work it as a guest. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, yes, whenever she like got stuff all over her outfit um Lottie took her upstairs and prettied her up and put her in one of her dresses and you get that there is like genuine care and affection but there. she could have but done that originally and invited her friend to the party and given her a pretty dress and all this stuff instead of being like oh you can come to the party as long as you work it you know what I mean like yeah, yeah it is yeah, it's a very know. transactional relationship and it seems very one-sided as well like it really seems like Charlotte gets something out of her relationship with Tiana and I'm sure Tiana gets something out of her relationship with Charlotte too but it seems like it's very like as it uh is convenient for Charlotte not so much as you know I don't know if Charlotte's really doing a whole lot of things for Tiana in return and I'm not trying to totally like you know shit on Charlotte right no she's not she's but that's her character she's just this like she's portrayed to being this kind of absent-minded you know, white right, socialite, but, mm-hmm. but which is honest of the of that time. Honestly, the fact that they're pushing this friendship on us is more unlikely than the way that, you know, when we actually look at the way that Charlotte treats her as a friend, that actually makes more sense to me as the time period and everything like that. But it is interesting how they are pushing this interracial friendship on us that is pretty unhealthy when we see that Tiana has a group of 
other friends as well who are like, come out with us. We miss you, girl. Like, what are you doing? You're always working. And like, those seem like really wonderful, supportive friends, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there is one thing, though, that kind of got me about about that, about that group of friends and that interaction is that everyone is always shitting on Tiana's dream. Yeah. (laughs) I understand that like she works a lot like that is supposed to be portrayed. Right. And everyone wants to make sure that she doesn't burn out and has time for her. But like you said, she is very aware of the class structure that she's existing within um, and the racial structure that she's existing within and that everything is a million times harder for her. Right. So it doesn't seem like she gets a ton of support. Like even from her mom, her mom is just like, yeah, this restaurant's great. But also when are you going to real happiness comes from love? And when are you, when are you going to get married and give me grandkids? Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so that is kind of pushed is just like, yes, yes. Your dream is wonderful. Snaps to you. We hope you get this, uh, this restaurant, but you're, but you will never truly be fulfilled until you have a partner in life to make you feel whole (laughs) yes yes and that's kind of the message of the whole thing which is weird uh (laughs) because it's like disney is trying to do something new with a disney princess right like true like tiana has more agency than any disney princess before her she's a harder worker than any disney princess that we've seen come before but then the movie kind of undermines that by the message of the movie still being like you need a man because at the end of it she was willing to stay a frog like yeah and she's like eh, you know fuck the rest of my life and this dream I've had my entire life right. I, as long as I'm with you life is worth living and, and I'm no, like and also seems- <laughs> okay and let on that note why Naveen? He sucks. He's a He's perv. Terrible. He's a womanizer. Let's talk about He's him. rude. Okay. There is nothing about that froggy prince that would make me be like, you're the one. You're the one I'm going to spend the rest Absolutely of my life with. Nothing. This is one of, and look, Disney is known for heavy handed relationships, right? Like fast tracking relationships yep. in these movies. This is one of the most heavy handed examples of that I have ever seen. Like, they don't even like each other for like most of the movie. No, so, they they actively dislike each other. And they have nothing in common at all. And like he is the she for her being like one of the most ambitious um Disney princesses we've ever seen, for her to end up with the most fuckboy of fuckboy Disney princesses princes ever to exist. And what's what's it called when you when you just live off your parents' money? When what do you call that? Like a not a, I'm not welfare child. What is that? Uh, trust fund baby. He's yeah, like a trust fund. Baby. He's a total yeah. trust fund baby. Okay, because then yeah. I'm imagining their marriage like actually in life, and I'm imagining her doing like all the cooking, all the cleaning, all the taking care of the children. He's making a mess, eating all her food, leaving the trash everywhere, sitting on the couch. He's right. not doing yeah. anything, and he's she's fun like time, good time dad. Exactly, and she's gonna end up being like the bad guy if they have kids and stuff yeah. like that. You know, or even if they don't have kids, she's gonna end up taking care of this man child for the rest of her life. What about him seems appealing? I don't get I it. I don't know. Why and couldn't he, they have made him a little more likable? <laughs> he kind of negs her throughout totally. the whole like, first part of the movie. Like he he seems like so aghast when he finds out she's not a princess. He's, he's like, I kissed a waitress. You know, yeah. what I mean? he doesn't say that, but that's kind of like the vibe. And then like, he, you deceived throughout me. Throughout the whole thing. 
Yeah, I'm like, excuse you. And then throughout the entire thing, he calls her a killjoy, a stick in the mud who doesn't know how to have fun, even though she is constantly saving his ass yeah. <laughs> throughout that entire portion. And then we're just supposed to believe, we're just expected to believe that they are so in love that she cannot live without him just and immediately. I can't remember now the moment that that changes. What makes her change her mind? I don't even know. Was Is it that like... The, fa- the fact that he might die, where she's suddenly like, oh, wait, I actually love you? Y- you know what? I'm not entirely certain myself. I uh, I watched this a few nights ago, and uh, apparently not closely enough. Because, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, mean, I know. I'm least- thinking the same thing. I'm like, when did that even switch? <laughs> I-, I don't know. She teaches him how to chop some mushrooms, and like he gets her to loosen up, plays like a ukulele or something, and then all oh, of a sudden... Oh, yeah, like, that's right. I I really don't know. And then um, suddenly they're a perfect match. Yeah, it's a mess. I it's I hate it. I yeah. actually do. You know, I, I wish we had seen more substantial growth from Naveen or just like anything that would indicate that like he would were be a, a good they partner. Would actually be good for each other long term because yeah. I'm like yeah okay girl get your life have a fling he's a fuck boy that's what you do you know what I mean but yeah to throw away everything in your life I mean your mom is at home like where's Tiana like you're missing actively missing <laughs> and you're just like okay well I guess I'll just stay at a frog with all my little woodland friends yep. because at least I get to stay with Naveen and it's like that's not worth it. Not worth that it not at all. That is not worth it, honey. And I also <laughs> want to know why Naveen thinks that mucus is better than slime. Because she's like, don't touch me with your slimy self. And he's like, it's not slime, it's mucus. And I'm like, that makes it better? It's worse. Yeah, the it's mucus, worse. Uh, the mucus plot line. Um, that could I could have done without why? it. The word <laughs> mucus, like it just creates such a like visceral response in my body that every time I was like, stop saying that. It's yes. mucus. Um, and then there's also been, as we're talking about Prince Naveen, before the movie even came out, there were issues with Naveen and the color of his skin and the fact that it seemed to a lot of people that Disney was steering away from having a black prince to go along with the yes. black princess and yeah. things like that. And yes, because he's very ethnically ambiguous. He's from yeah. a made-up country called Maldonia. And uh, he's described and by Disney as non-white, essentially. So like he is it's very ambiguous as to what his nationality and race is. Yes. And that is something that I noticed whenever I went to see the movie as well. Like I didn't quite understand that. Like, why did the prince need to be like vaguely European non-white? Right. Um, rather than I mean, he could have been a prince from Africa, or did that just not work with the Charlotte subplot? Like, I don't I didn't get that at all. Like if you're gonna do this post racial thing, then who cares if if Charlotte wants to marry a black prince. Like, why would that be a problem? And what it's makes more it acceptable different? If he's like lighter skinned, right? And I mean, that's. I mean, maybe that's the case that it would be more acceptable because he's lighter skinned. He's not black. He's European, or you know, whatever. He's portrayed by a Brazilian actor. Um, but I think that at the time, I think if you weren't white. You weren't right. You know what I mean? Like it wouldn't have happened. Like that's what I'm saying. Like it wouldn't have mattered. So I don't understand if you're gonna make 
like making that choice doesn't make sense to me. So I don't really know what went into that. And again, it becomes so much more problematic when you look at it from the perspective of these were white writers making these decisions yeah, and a white director making these decisions, right? And, and, so and that makes then, you think about why. Why did you make those decisions? Yes, why? Like why? It, it feels racist. You know, you know how when something just kind of feels racist, like yep. you're like that, something about that don't feel right to something me. Something doesn't you know? feel right. I don't have a problem with Naveen being brown or vaguely something. You know, right. I don't care. It's just why. It's the reasoning like if, behind it. Yeah. If we've waited all this time to have a black Disney princess, why can't we have a black Disney prince? You know, Who knows? I don't understand. Yeah. Let's take a quick break. And then when we get back, I have something I want to talk to you about. Awesome. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Do you like science fiction? I'm Carrie Bechet, and if you loved movies like Arrival or Interstellar, then you're going to want to check out my podcast, Hypothetical. On Hypothetical, we tell speculative sci-fi stories interwoven with real science. New episodes every Tuesday, available wherever you get podcasts. And we're back. Okay, I wanted to talk about something that I really noticed this go around in my watch, um, and that is the representation of voodoo in Ooh, this movie. Did I go down a dive of learning yeah. about the history of voodoo? I We should do a whole episode about Absolutely. voodoo Absolutely. priests and things. Oh, my gosh. it's They are like a matriarchal society and religion and culture, and it's so cool. But yeah, it's there's very, some- it's very cool and fascinating, which is why I have such a bone to pick about how voodoo and the quote unquote sh- shadow man are portrayed in this movie. And I, I know that this is something that we see often in our culture. I, I don't think I've ever seen a movie that depicted voodoo correctly. Um, no. Because I think we have this really weird fascination, misconception about what voodoo is and how it is portrayed. It has uh, so- been portrayed in culture and movies. I mean, in every movie that I can think of where voodoo has been represented, it's always been the evil, dark magic. You know, I think of voodoo a lot with like those voodoo dolls where, you know, they're sticking the needles in and then that person is feeling Mm -hmm. the pain and things like that. It's never a positive, uh, life-changing thing. Even like, for example, if we look at, what's the uh, valet's name again? Lawrence? Lawrence. Lawrence, Uh yeah. So he goes to the shadow man 
with assistance because he he wants something, right? He wants a new, better life for himself. But in order to do that, he must do something very evil, give away something very bad. And that's like showing that it's not like a positive magic where it's like good things will bring you good things. It's very much like making a deal with the devil kind of situation where in my reading, that's very much not what it's about. Not at all. And even that phrase, which is very much how it's portrayed, that's that's how it seems when yeah. you watch this movie, um, even putting it in that like mindset of making a deal with the devil is making it very almost like Christian centered of it, right? but, you know, which is like looking at it through this like lens of Christianity, which is, you know, looking at it through a very European lens. And exactly. I read this, um, I read this article, HuffPost article by a woman uh, who is a voodoo priestess and she was kind of like talking about how much voodoo is misrepresented um, in movies and pop culture and other forms of media and she said quote voodoo isn't accurately portrayed in most movies tv shows and books even some documentaries and non-fiction books are misleading Voodoo isn't a cult, black magic, or devil worship. People who practice voodoo are not witch doctors, sorcerers, or cultists. Voodoo isn't a practice intended to hurt or control others. Most voodooists have never even seen a voodoo doll, unless, like you, they saw it in a movie. So the way that voodoo is depicted in this movie, and again, like I said, in most movies that I've seen, is that there is something to be feared. It's dark. It's almost demonic in nature. So the depiction of voodoo as something inherently dark or evil has extremely racist roots. Well, yeah. So let's talk about where voodoo comes from. So I was on the like Louisiana voodoo or New Orleans voodoo Wikipedia page to get a little bit of my background here about how voodoo came to Louisiana, New Orleans specifically. So I'm assuming it's kind of this way in other places, specifically in the South, but voodoo was brought over to the U.S. due to slavery. Um, so it yes. was the the black people that were stolen out of Africa and brought over to the U.S. They brought that religion and culture with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, America and the Caribbean. Yeah. Yes. Various commentators have described Louisiana voodoo as matriarchal because of the dominant role priestesses have played in the religion whereby African-American women drew upon Louisiana voodoo to resist racial and gender oppression that they experienced. So it was actually like a very like pro-woman, pro, you know, integration kind of religion where it was about the the power of black women, really, it seems. And they were very, very revered. And it's interesting, too, that there is such a prominence of voodoo in the movie and that it's talked about so much because by the early 20th century, there weren't any more like publicly prominent voodoo practitioners in New Orleans. And I mean, maybe that's why these voodoo characters are kind of seen as like the outcasts and things like that. Like they still exist, but they've kind of hidden away. They're not to be seen by the general public because Mama Odie is the same way, who is like a good voodoo priestess. She's also kind of like hidden away in the bayou and isn't with society. Yeah, I mean, I feel like Dr. Facilier, his voodoo feels to me almost like tourist voodoo. Like, he's kind of like doing card tricks on the street for white people, you know? Totally, like he's yeah. reading tarot cards for Good point, yeah. tourists in and, and stuff like that. Um, but so to go along with kind of like what you were saying about the history of, of voodoo and where it originated from and why it's become so villainized, 
so the culture of black Americans um, who were enslaved, it was both feared and ridiculed because enslaved people were not considered to be fully human. They right. weren't considered to be like human beings. So their religious practices were dismissed as superstitious witchcraft um, and something that was evil and in opposition to good European Christianity, right? So again, in that article that was written um, by that voodoo priestess, which I would recommend everyone read, Mm -hmm. uh, she goes into how a lot of Haitian revolutionaries, you remember whenever we talked about that um, slave revolt in Haiti, a lot of Haitian revolutionaries who led that revolt were voodooists. And so Europeans Mm -hmm. began to spread the idea that voodoo was this brutal religion that encouraged bloodshed. And then there became this fascination with with voodoo as a form of witchcraft, essentially. Um, And that is how it's been portrayed that's really persisted in our media. Um, And it's very damaging. And that's exactly how it's portrayed in the movie, because like, especially when you're talking about like the use of blood, that is something, you know, for Lawrence to remain Prince Naveen, he needs to have blood in this like amulet that will keep him, you know, that way and things like that, which really does show it as being more like this bizarre witchcraft kind of situation where in a lot of the readings that I did, they would use a lot of like, you know, herbs and things that came from nature. It's not a lot of like, let me steal your blood and put it in an amulet around my neck. Right, right. And again, I feel like these kinds of missteps could have been avoided if you had one person in the room who knew what they were talking about, you know. Oh my um, gosh, yeah. it just kind of feels like you're using this thing that's very real to a lot of people um, as a spectacle, right? Like yeah. you're making this like huge spectacle out of something that is a very real spiritual practice that a lot of people still practice, right? Yeah. And Disney has a really long history of creating villains of things that we as a society are meant to fear. And what I mean by that is that often their villains are, for instance, coded as queer in some way. So Mm -hmm. queer people in power or women in power, uh, or in this case, a black man who practices a scary religion that gives him power. right? Right. And those things are supposed to we're supposed to be scared of that, right? That like, you know, he's, he's got, he's exercising this power that is um, specifically prevalent within the black community. And on the opposite side of that, you know, you mentioned Mama Odie is also a voodoo practitioner of some kind, definitely seems the more like holistic, she's using a lot more like herbs (laughs) and stuff in, in her magic practice. And she's like a Um, sweet little old lady. And, you know, she's like a sweet little old lady, but her magic doesn't do anything. Like, you know, she's supposed to be powerful, but how powerful is she really? Like, she kind of just is like, she didn't do anything. Like they spend all this time trying to get to her, which the plot of this movie really doesn't make a lot of sense. There's a lot of holes. Like there's a lot of holes. Um, I enjoy this movie. Don't think too hard about it. But yeah, there's a lot of things where you're like, yeah, because they get to Mama Odie, they sing a song, but then nothing happens. (laughs) Yeah, nothing really happens. And the song, again, is also basically like, hey, um, you have all of these things that you like want, but do you really have what you need? And what you need is a man kind of, you know, like that's kind of the vibe is like, you need love in your life because otherwise you're going to be miserable, Tiana. And yeah, for real. It's like, you, you seem just fine. You seem just fine, Mama Odie. And you're alone. Why do I have to be with this douche? 
goals. Like Mama Odie is like kicking it with her woodland creatures in the middle of the swamp. That's what I want. I'm That's like, all just I leave want. Me alone. For real. Um, <laughs> I don't want to be talked to one more time. <laughs> For real. Uh, but yeah, I mean, so it, it is an interesting thing that like the good person, the good voodoo practitioner isn't all that powerful. And so it kind of like makes you believe that in order to be powerful at this craft, you have to be willing to do some really messed up stuff, you know? Mm, yeah, totally. I don't isn't the practice. It. Yeah, I don't think that's yeah. the, I don't think that's the goal of, of the religion right. to and do that. Again, it's not honoring the play. If you're choosing to set this movie in New Orleans, you know, it's not really honoring that place to take something that is like specific to that area and do whatever you want with it. Like, exactly. like treat it so with, with so little care. You well, know? And exactly. So if they like had that. had some people in the writer's room that just knew what they were talking about, like all of this could have been avoided. All these little things, like you didn't have to add these things to the story, but you did. And why? You know what I mean? Like yeah. it just really does seem problematic to me. And another thing that I remember hearing about when the trailer was first released, like back in 2008 or nine was that a lot of people had a problem with the depiction of Ray, the, uh, wow, what yes, kind of bug is he? The, the, the lightning light, bug. Yeah. The lightning bug, thank that you. That was next on my list, yes, to yeah, talk about. Um, because mm-hmm. the depiction of Cajun people throughout, you know, media and history has not always been super positive, and it's always this, like, well, for example, um, the Council for the Development of French in Louisiana, a state agency charged with the protection and promotion of French in Louisiana, took issue with Ray, voiced by Jim Cummings, saying, it's a continuation of the stereotyping of Cajun people, which is inaccurate. It has been done in so many movies over so much time, people think that's the way we are, and it's just wrong. I can list several movies where they have portrayed us as backward, toothless, illiterate people who fart. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's true. Like, it, this movie pushes a lot of... Um, classist stuff in the way that it depicts poor people and poor Southern people in particular. So right. there is Raymond, yeah, who is like a firefly lightning bug kind of friend. Um, and he's kind of portrayed as this like dummy with a heart of gold. Like, yeah. right? like you're supposed to love him because he's like such a nice guy, kind Must guy, be protected at all costs because he's must be, really yeah. not safe on his own. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. Um, but yeah, like he's he's got a Cajun accent. His teeth are all fucked up right yeah and And they say that like they gave him a gap in his teeth because jim cummings also has a gap in his teeth and they had like adapted some move i'm like okay whatever like i get it itself is not the problem you know it's the fact that you gave him like the jankiest looking teeth like it's not a gap there's like teeth missing and it really is like kind of this depiction of like an old hillbilly kind of thing right and even when the movie depicts poor people, you know, because we have the animals that are obviously supposed to be poor people like Raymond. Right. And then there are like actual depictions of like poor people along the bayou. They are also kind of portrayed as these like kind of. Yeah. Yeah. They're portrayed as like hillbillies, really. Like uh, and I get it. Like this is an animated movie and that's kind of what they do. But we've talked about this before when we did our episode on Disney associating like like traditional beauty 
with goodness or intelligence, which is oftentimes what Disney does. Like if you are smart or good, you are beautiful. Beautiful. If you are (laughs) stupid or bad, then you are not. Yeah. You know, um, and this movie definitely does that a lot, which is a problem. Yeah, it's really problematic. I mean, and then once again, I think as we kind of get towards the end of this um, movie, of course, to me, the biggest issue, and I know that they had to stick to this because it is a princess movie. And honestly, they probably would have gotten criticisms if it had ended any other way, except a happily ever after ending. Right. But I really just don't feel like they put the work in for me to believe that relationship enough. No. Um, for me to be rooting for that relationship enough. For me to want them to get married in the end. Yeah. Because what, what happens at the end of the movie is that Tiana has basically decided it's cool. I want to be with you. Let's get married, even though we met, just met. literally two seconds ago. Um, but like, let's get married. We'll just stay frogs. It's not so bad. It's going to be great. So they get married. And when they get married, they kiss. And then they both transform back into people because a kiss to a princess breaks the spell. And I mean, how Tiana Shrek of them. Princess. That's so sure yes, of them. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you really know, um, um, yeah, it's it doesn't make any sense. And while we were saying all of this too, I'm like, why didn't you make just completely different choices? Like, if you wanted the first black princess, why did you only have her become a princess to because she had to marry a prince? Like, I wish they would have like yes. made her already Same. a princess, just like Ariel mm-hmm. is, or just like uh, Sleeping Beauty is. Like, why couldn't she have been like an African princess, or you know, something like that that would have actually made more sense? And to have her fall in love with someone where it actually makes more sense because this. Right. None of that is cohesive with everything that we've learned about Tiana up until this point. And it's really and shitty that the they're problem. like, the only way you can be a princess is if you marry a prince to get yourself out of right. this horrible situation. Right. Then you'll have your restaurant. Then you'll have everything because you'll marry a rich man. Like, that's yeah, so yeah, fucked yes. up. Yes, I completely agree. You said it so well, because the issue for me is that it's inconsistent with what we've learned about her as a person. Like, that's the problem that I have. Because I'm like, okay, yeah, you've had your Cinderella's in the past, right? Who were not princesses, but married into becoming princesses, um, who also married a man after not knowing him at all. But what we learned about Cinderella, albeit we learned very little about Cinderella in the movie, um, but what we do learn about her, it's not inconsistent with her choosing that path no she's she's dreaming of a way out of her horrible lifestyle and things like that and she's like that would be a way for her especially at the time I mean women if they wanted to get out of bad circumstances the best way to do that was to marry somebody who was wealthy because the job opportunities and such weren't weren't so you know but Tiana was a person who did work really hard who did want to make her own money and that was something really important to her where Cinderella didn't have that option you know what I mean like she she needed to be rescued in that way where Tiana I think they're trying to tell us that she did need to be rescued in a way where really to me it seems like she could have taken care of herself the whole time 
Yeah, so that's the thing, is that, like, what is the point the movie is trying to make? Like, are they trying to say that, like, getting married will solve your problems? Like, romantic love is all she needed. (laughs) Romantic hetero love is all she needed uh, (laughs) to get all of her dreams to make all of her dreams come true right you know and I'm like she was well on her way to doing that anyway and like it makes me it undermines their relationship for me it doesn't feel like a partnership nope in a way that I would want it to it really seems like Tiana just turned on a lot of like her beliefs to make things easier on herself, especially when she had been berating Naveen for doing exactly that the whole time. And I think what Disney is trying to portray is that you need to have a healthy, you know, work-life balance. Like maybe that's the moral they're trying to teach us is that it's not all about, you know, success and working so hard. You have to stop and look around you and appreciate your, 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 wow, appreciate your loved ones and other things in your life that bring you joy rather than just work. Or remember why you do the work that you do and have fun with it and I think that that's something that they show Naveen giving Tiana but it's done in a way that's so shady that it doesn't feel positive it feels manipulative it feels like it's negging he's berating her for being the way she is and then also like they kind of show him more kind of like stubbornly not even taking more initiative because really what you mentioned he cuts a mushroom and then suddenly she's like oh I see you differently it's like he's really not doing a whole lot for her to right, like the change bars on the floor yeah exactly Definitely. where for him he expects her to do all of this changing loosen up come on what's wrong with you kind of thing and she can't do anything right <laughs> right I mean again if they could have put it in the context of like if they had put Tiana's hard work and ambition and her being the way she is and her inability to loosen up and all that stuff within the context of being a black woman in the 1920s and what that meant, then I think it would have made more sense. Like, I, you know, I think we could have had better conversations. I think they could have had better conversations. I think they could have come to a better understanding about I each think, other. You I know? think the fact that they turned them into frogs kind of took away from everything that we wanted out of the movie because I did clock it. She turns into a frog at 29 minutes. This is a long Disney movie. This movie is like long. Is it like two hours? Like I feel like it's It's like an hour 45. Yeah, Yeah. it seems longer than most. It's bizarre. But um, yeah, she is a frog for most of the movie as is Prince Naveen. And there is, I really think that like, and I've heard that complaint a lot. And when I think about it, it's like I think it's that they're not giving the characters the chances to have fully developed selves when you're putting them in this predicament of having to turn back into people because they're frogs. I don't know. I feel like the story that they're trying to tell doesn't really work with Princess and the Frog. And they're they're throwing too many things at us for it to make sense, you know? Yeah. I mean, and in the end, I think the thing that makes me feel most disappointed is that I was so excited about this movie that even though I saw all of its flaws whenever I went to see it initially, I kind of pushed all those those thoughts away um, because I was just grateful to have a black Disney princess. And that feels really shitty. You it know, does feel like really that- shitty, but I do the, and I'm not, I'm not saying, but, but um, it's like, I think the only good thing that really comes from that is the fact that, you know, little kids, like, yes, they do take in a lot of those like subliminal messages and things like that. 
But there are finally, there's finally more representation for people. Like little girls have a costume that they feel like they can wear and identify with when they go to Disneyland and a character that they can get excited about and things like that because they see themselves in them. Good character, I will say. I mean, other than the fact that like for some inexplicable reason, she sells herself out, sells her character out um, yeah, in order we, to marry Naveen at the end. The but ending the aside. That, <laughs> the ending aside, Tiana is a great role model. Like yeah. she is a wonderful character, a great yeah. Disney princess in so many ways. Um, I just wish we didn't have to settle for like crumbs, you know, yeah. like I'm kind of like you waited so long to make a black Disney princess that this should have been flawless. You yeah. know what I mean? Like you should have put the work in. Especially when that's how you're promoting it. When like that's yeah, your yeah. big selling point is like the first black princess. Well, then you really should have taken the time and responsibility right. to make sure that because you gave the best of the best to this movie. If, yes, if you're going to be yes. touting it as this historical moment, you should have done more. Right, because otherwise it kind of just feels like a cash grab. Like you were coming for the black communities, like money. You wanted them to like go see this movie um, and buy all this merchandise Uh with a black Disney princess on it and and all of that stuff. And again, I like this movie (laughs) with all that Same, I love it. um, I really enjoy this movie. I I think it's beautiful. Like a lot of the animation in it is beautiful. Again, I think Tiana is a great character. There's a lot to like about this movie if you're just watching it purely. Yeah, yeah, almost there. Amazing. Mm-hmm. If you're just watching it like purely to enjoy an animated movie, um, I think that this is a great movie. I just it represented so much to a community um, that I feel like the way that it was done was a, a, t- a touch irresponsible. Definitely. You know? And yeah. that's why I wanted to talk about it for an episode of ours because it yeah. is a problematic favorite of mine. I enjoy totally. it and I will watch it again. You know, Same. I wonder what changes would have been made if it was done like after 2020. Like if we were to do the first Black Princess now, I It'd wonder... It would be different for sure. It would be different, but I almost wonder what they're what their choices would have made it would it be different better or would it just be different you know what I mean it's it's interesting and I wish that you know Disney is starting to come out with more and more diverse characters and things like that and I I hope it continues but I also really hope I know that with like Moana and things like that there was a lot of research done about the culture and things like that but I hope that Disney and other, you know, media corporations can learn from things like this and know the kind of responsibility that they hold in the messages that they're putting out into the world because more yeah. kids watch Disney movies probably than like any other, you know, company of movies, you know what I mean? Like that was mm-hmm. my childhood and they really do have a sense of responsibility in molding children's minds and they have to take that responsibility really seriously. Yeah. 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 Well, that's all I have. That's all I've got <laughs> Do you as have well. Anything else? No, that's okay. all I've got. All right. So if you haven't checked out any of our merch yet and you want to, you can go to the link in our bio on our Instagram or you can go to the link in the show notes wherever you're listening. If you have any ideas for topics that you want us to discuss in the future, you can go ahead and write into us through email at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com or direct message us on Instagram at Angry Neighborhood Feminist. We have a Facebook business and group page. You can rate and review us on the business page and chat with the other listeners on the group page. Last but not 
least, if you haven't done so already, the best way that you can support Keegan and I is by leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts with a quick sentence about why you enjoy the show. And also, I believe our schedule is going to be a little bit wonky since Keegan is away. Should we yeah, update we're doing our them? Best. <laughs> yeah, I believe we've decided that we're not going to be bringing mini episodes out for while she's gone unless, you know, we really feel like we've got to sit down and, and chat about something. Um, is there anything else that we need to let the listeners know before we go? No, we are going to do our very best to get you out new episodes every week. Um, if we are unable to get you a new episode for whatever reason, if the, our schedules just are too hectic and crazy, um, we will definitely re-release an old episode. So if you um, have a favorite episode, Good please idea. let us know. Let us know yeah. what your favorite past episodes are. Um, but yeah, and I'm sorry about that. You all know how much I love and value you as listeners. Uh, sometimes life just gets in the way of the yeah, things you we want have, to do the most. <laughs> well, there's always lots of things that we want to do in life. And so we can't always, you know, stop everything, especially you, Keegan. You always have a million things to do. So <laughs> I appreciate you taking the time and um, being with me today and doing this wonderful episode. Of course, always happy to see your face, even if it's via FaceTime. <laughs> Same. Wish I could hug you right now. I know. <laughs> That's all we have for you today. With all that being said, we encourage you to rage, rage on. Bye. Anna Sheridan, New York Times bestselling author of Supernatural Horror. Missing for nearly six months now. That's not possible. Is the compass broken? Or did I turn to the Given the circumstances of her disappearance, someone with a more vivid imagination might decide she'd pierce the veil, so to speak. Weak radio signal. 700 meters. Closing fast. There's no place for ghost stories and close encounters in this investigation. Or any other. I need you to find me. To save yourself. Of course. What else would it be? The Sheridan Tapes, a serialized horror mystery podcast. Stream the complete series today on Realm and on all podcasting platforms.